coach and a physician and the host of the SOAR podcast, a place where black women get to tell their stories about overcoming limiting beliefs. One week, my conversation with the college dean on colorism may spark activism. And the next week, you might feel like a fly on the wall, listening as I hold space for a teacher who's fighting to hold back tears. My guests are diverse, like beautiful feathers that make up the wings of our sisterhood. Hello, Ikrama, and welcome to SOAR. Thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you, and I'm excited for our topic. Our topic today is Black Women Weaving the Fabric of Community. Yes. So I just want to introduce you and just give a little bit of an excerpt of your bio. Your bio is extremely impressive. And I would encourage people to kind of look you up and read everything. But I just want to set the groundwork with a little bit of an intro. So tonight I have with me Ikrama Muhammad, who is the owner of Pieces, an accessory company whose goal is to create sustainable markets and systems for handcrafted and upcycled handbags, accessories, and decor. She's committed to the leadership and economic development of the Black community, particularly women and girls. In 2018, she founded and is the current executive director of the Pieces Collective, a nonprofit organization that serves as a platform for local makers and artists to display their work and uses a portion of revenues generated to launch community programs and provide experiential learning. Ms. Muhammad practices the time-honored tradition of art and art of sewing and is currently a teaching artist at the Jubilee Art Center in Baltimore, Maryland. She has developed Sewing for the Soul, a curriculum that compares and aligns the creative process, discipline, and patience required to learn and complete sewing projects with the mindfulness, personal development, and leadership skills needed to succeed in everyday life. So that is just a snippet of the wonderful work that Akrama is doing. I always like to start off my interview just by allowing you to share your story. So we're here to, to talk about community. And one of the ways that I try to build community is by is through storytelling. And that's sort of one of the purposes of this podcast is just to mm -hmm. allow as many of us as possible to tell our stories. Because what I find is that when you tell your story, you make connections that you never knew existed um, right. if you didn't tell your story. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear your story and how you got to where you are today. Okay, well. It's a long journey. I've been on the planet for a minute, but <laughs> I'm happy to share with you, so stop me anytime. But um, 
you know, speaking of community, I was born in Staten Island, New York. Shout out to SI. You know, we're, <laughs> we're usually the, the step borough to the other boroughs uh, in New York until Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang kind of put us on the map to be cool <laughs> in New York. <laughs> but uh, I want to say first and foremost, I'm the daughter of Maddie and Ken Freeman. I'm the granddaughter of Joseph Freeman and Francis and Horace Robinson and of Alberta and Brock Vance. And I start off like that because that's really the foundation of my community. So I grew up in Staten Island, moved to Maryland by way of New Jersey. We moved from Staten Island because of a family tragedy that happened. Uh, When I was 14, I lost my brother who was four in a boating accident. And then we kind of moved away from that neighborhood because it still had a lot of memories, et cetera. But we moved down to Maryland and I worked for a major newspaper in Maryland for 25 years. While I was working there, I started volunteering for a social service organization called Action. And that's where I learned a lot about um, community outreach and the importance of building community and how understanding these things and working with people can help us solve the problems and meet the needs of the black community. So it really served as a training vehicle for young people. We had a thrift store, which was a training platform where we taught about coming together, working together, marketing, reaching out to the community, et cetera. And that was a lot of fun and a lot of learning. Along the way, I accepted Islam. I became a mother to a beautiful baby boy back in 1993. (laughs) And um, I joined the Nation of Islam in 1995. And then I was working at this newspaper having a pretty good time. But I really wanted to do something else. I really wanted to do something meaningful. And I was continuing to volunteer at this group. And I was learning more and more about how we can do for self, et cetera. So that was becoming my passion. And I always was thinking, um, yeah, one day I'm going to leave here. You know, I'm going to quit and do what I love. One day, one day. And then one day they came to me and offered a buyout, which was their nice way of saying, you know, (laughs) um, asking me to leave. (laughs) So I worked there for a long time. I got a lot of experience there. You know, I really enjoyed my experience. But now I had an opportunity, although first it was scary, you know, because even though this is something that I had always said I wanted to do, now it's happening. And although it was mm-hmm. a little scary, I um, I didn't really hesitate about what I was going to do because I could have said, let me, you know, take this buyout, look for another job in corporate America and, you know, continue on. But I really wanted to do something that I loved and I had found something that I loved, you know, and that yeah. was something... I had never, honestly, I had never really been motivated by anything before. And this was, I was really working two full-time jobs and being a mother, et cetera. So I would, I guess you could say that I really loved what I was doing. 
So I decided that I would help grow this, you know, into an institution. And I was all excited about it. And then a few months later, I was awakened by a call about four o'clock in the morning. And, you know, that's never good. And uh, a fellow volunteer told me that the store was on fire. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I got in my car and went down to the store and everything had been destroyed. And worse than that, you know, we didn't have insurance. So that kind of um, put an end to that, so to speak. We were trying to to work things out, but we were a volunteer organization and the store wasn't going to be ready for a long period of time. So we lost a lot of volunteers and I had to figure out again, what am I going to do? So, you know, I, I hearken back to an art and a skill that my grandmother taught me, my grandmother, uh, Frances Robinson, which was sewing. And I, I, cause I thought about, well, what can I do? I want to do something. I still want to work in the community, but you have to have finance, like the old song, no romance without finance. <laughs> so I had to figure out what I could do. I, I can't sing. I don't dance or, you know, any of those things. So I, I remembered sewing, which was something that my grandmother taught me when I was very young. And so I took a class, brushed up on my skills and started transferring from corporate offices to craft markets and selling handcrafted bags and other types of accessories. And that was the beginning of how Pieces and the Pieces Collective was born. Wow. Wow. Well, I know as we continue with this conversation, we'll hear a lot more about Pieces Collective. Mm-hmm. But that was a very moving story. Uh, talking a lot about narratives this month in my group coaching group and that story has like the whole all of the the pieces that you need for a good story the story arc the um the thing that you had to overcome the transformation uh Mm -hmm. so thank you for sharing your narrative with us absolutely as we're talking about community, I think a lot of times we, we throw that word around, we talk about community a lot, and we don't often take the time to define it. Mm-hmm. And some of us may have different definitions of community mm-hmm. than others as well. So I would love for us to just start and just have you share what your definition of community is. Like, what is the difference between a group or a neighborhood and what you consider to be community? Hmm. Well, I think a community is a group. You know, that's one aspect of it. It is a group of people who have uh, common interests and common needs, and they're committed to each other and to work, you know, in a united way to meet the needs, not just of themselves as individuals, but as a community, as a whole group. So that's basically how I see. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing from what you're saying is that you could be in a group and still not be committed to the collective goal, right? You could be a part of a group or you can be just Mm -hmm. amongst other people. 
Um, but community is really when you your focus is not necessarily on your individualistic needs, but on the needs of the entire group. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that I had to learn, because like you said, we talk about community a lot and that we're a community and you belong to this community or that community. But it's good that you asked about defining it because it's much deeper, I think, than we talk about. And sometimes we may be part of a community that we don't even realize that we're part Mm -hmm. of, you know, that might have goals and, you know, values and everything that we really don't have. So I think it's important that we be clear about what community is. And part, one of the issues that I see is that everything is so segmented, Mm -hmm. right? So, uh, you have, you know, you have your work life, then you have your school life, or you have your party life, or you have your family life, and you have your faith life, and all of that is segmented, and not mm-hmm. necessarily often it is, and not necessarily do you um, bring that together. But I think what I'm seeing uh, and observing in the in this society is that in spite of all of that, everything is driven toward an individual and materialistic goal, you know? Yeah. And it's almost like we're programmed for that. And at the same time, we're seeing and hearing all of these problems that are going on, and we're not really addressing that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know? Yeah, that is an excellent point. Um, as you were talking, it reminded me of the power of community. And one of the one of the times that I realized how powerful community is, is when Barack Obama was running for president and they kept making fun of him and saying, oh, he's a community organizer. Right. His experience is being a community organizer. And now just looking at how powerful the yeah. skill of being able to organize communities was and his, you know, getting elected and then in his success even afterwards um it's you know it's it's really funny how people just downplayed it and i think that as people of color we've often known more how important community is and how powerful it can be and that's my perspective maybe other people do too but well, I, I think you're right on about that. And one of the lessons that we have to learn is that we can't let people downplay what's important to us and what we know is important. You know, because like you said, they try to be, belittle that as if that's not important. But what's more important than community? You know, without community, what do you have? You don't have nation. Without community, you don't have real strong families. All these things are what you know community is all about and as you as you mentioned we have a rich history in communities one of the incidents that i find most inspiring is the bus boycott that we had right so you know i grew up hearing about that and i know most people grow up hearing about that but i didn't really realize how long and how yeah. competitive we were. What was it like? 
it was it was a long time that they had to rely on each other, mm-hmm. for, not just for transportation, but for support, for encouragement, for comfort, because they were doing something at that time that was very dangerous, had never been done. Nobody had seen, relatively speaking, a united community for that and being committed to that length of time. And again, they may have played it down at that time, like, oh, they'll be back on the buses tomorrow, (laughs) you know, but no, they were, they were committed and united and they met and they organized and it, it took a lot to be able to, well, number one, they walked, a lot of them walked, but they also organized transportation and gave each other rides, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a large part of that was black women. Absolutely. One of the things you mentioned when we talked was that one of your goals to build community is through sewing, S-E-W, and mm-hmm. sewing, S-O-W. So right. I would love for you to explain a little bit about what that means and how you're doing that through Pieces Collective. Sure. Well, we... um since we've been working on, on those things, we've come up with a little mantra, which is that, you know, to keep in touch and in balance with humanity, you need to create something with your hands, grow something from the earth and serve your community. So that those three things are what we're striving to build at the Pieces Collective. Sewing is something, again, it's part of the handcraft arts, which is all about community. You know, every time when you think of sewing, you think of sewing circles. You may have had parents, grandparents, great-grandparents that were involved in sewing circles, quilting circles, knitting circles. All of these things bring community together. I know my mother's mother, my grandmother, Alberta, My mother used to tell us stories about how they used to have quilt racks in their living room, but they hung from the ceilings and they would move so that they could pull the rack down, work on it when people, you know, sisters came over Mm -hmm. and then roll it and move it out to the side. I don't, you know, people have so many rooms in their houses these days. They may have just a room for that, but Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, you know, your living room was, you did everything in it. And they would make quilts for any occasion in in the community. So if somebody was having a baby, they made a quilt for them. If they were getting married, if somebody passed away. So they were always making and coming together to acknowledge and honor community. And it's more than just skills-based. And that's why we would calling it sewing for the soul because it's more than just a skill of how to sew a button on or hem a dress or, or even make a garment. It's the interaction and really oftentimes the intergenerational interaction that people that we get when we're in these environments with sewing history is passed down family history, community history, you know, problems are are solved or, or people are counseled on solutions for problems. People are comforted 
with these things. And then there's just a lot of laughter and fun as well. So there's so many lessons in sewing that can be applied to real life and I think can help us move forward and move to another level of, of thinking, right? So that we're not always just thinking about things on the physical level. We think about them on the mental level and then we think about them on the spiritual level because everything has those three, at least those three <laughs> factors and aspects to it. So, you know, sewing is very... I find it oftentimes very spiritual as well. I was reading this book, African Healing. I don't, I can't remember the exact name of it right now, but I'm in the process of reading it. And there was a a chapter in there where he talks about the women in in his African village and how they would come together to make pottery. And it reminded me of sewing. And he would say, even before they started making the pottery, they would chant, they would sing, and then eventually they would make the pottery together and it would be very joyous. And that joy would go into the products that they make. Mm-hmm. And so that reminded me, I had uh, in a group of my quilting community sisters over one day And we were all at different sewing machines. There were about six or seven of us. And we were working on our projects and going busy on. And I like to listen to music when I sew. And so I put on this old school playlist. So the music was in the background. And then all of a sudden, Love Train by the OJs came on. Uh You know, I hope people remember that song. (laughs) (laughs) Love Train came on and everybody just jumped up and we started doing the Love Train, (laughs) Old Train, you know. And it kind of reminded me of what he was saying about the joy that comes up when you're doing something that you really love and and Mm -hmm. you're making something with your hands and you're surrounded with people that you care about and you have things in common with and, and goals in common with. So that's a lot of a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And, and that does sound like fun. I think sometimes, you know, we don't have as much fun as we used to, right? I think mm-hmm. it's almost like it's kind of fun is kind of scripted into these specific areas. Either you're going to a party or you're going to a club or you're going to an event or you're mm-hmm. going um, to have an experience. But what you sound like, it, what what you're explaining sounds like just the authentic joy that comes from being in community and doing something that you love and the fun that that arises from that. I think that's one of those forms of fun that, you know, is kind of missing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. As you were talking, you were talking about women and how even in the, the bus boycotts and, and, and at the front of community, a lot of times there are women. And both of our audiences are focused on Black women. I posted something earlier, given that the officers who shot Breonna Taylor were just charged, brought up on charges. And then with Brittany Griner, the WNBA player, getting sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison. And how sometimes it feels like 
as black women, the world can treat us pretty unfairly. And for me, I feel that that makes it even more important for us to have a strong community of other women. You know, if the world is treating us unfairly, we cannot afford to treat each other unfairly. Mm -hmm. We need to rally around our sisters and really just lift them up and love on them to kind of counteract some of the, the pressures that we feel in the world. So I was curious to know, why do you think it's important to kind of focus on Black women as you talk about building community? Yeah. Well, you're being very, very generous and kind when you say sometimes we're treated. <laughs> you know, it's a, a lot of times, not Black women, Black men, Black family in general. But mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons I like to talk about this is because I think we're at a time when we really have to start defining things and, you know, going beneath the surface or just the, you know, the titles and and the names, et cetera, and ask ourselves, well, who is the black woman? Hmm. Right. And what makes us black women? Are we the same as white women? If not, what makes us different? What makes us different than white women? Is it just the fact that we have darker skin? Do we behave and and have the same values and et cetera as white women, but just we're black? Or is there something deeper on a deeper level? That would be on the physical level, but is there something deeper to who we are as black women? Something deeper mentally and spiritually. So, you know, when I answer that question and what I've learned, because this was a process for me and people shared with me and opened my eyes to certain things. And I've learned that, you know, I would answer that question first, that we are the mothers of civilization, you know, and that you can hear that in some, some corners of the community and the world, et cetera, but it doesn't get talked about a lot. And when we do talk about it, we kind of talk about it like it's uh, not trivial, but we don't really understand the seriousness and the truth of that, right? Because we do know now that the oldest human remains ever found you know, are of a black woman in what I think is now called Ethiopia, who they named Lucy, right? So it's not just a saying and a cute little quip, it's real. So, you know, all of humanity and the DNA comes from us. And I think mm-hmm. that's important, important to talk about and to understand, because that puts, for me, that put a lot of things in perspective. The other side of that is, okay, so what is our responsibility? Huh. You know, that's not just uh, something that we can wear and throw out because nobody really cares. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, this is civilization. It sounds cute and it makes us feel good, but in the world, nobody really cares about that. They don't want to teach our children that, and they definitely don't want to teach their children that, you know, and we're not teaching them that. So I think that's 
the thing that we have to look at. What is our responsibility as black women? What are our values? And when I was speaking earlier about how we, this society just looks at things on, on a physical level, that's what we've been reduced to. Yeah. So black women are, are black women because we're black. And that's the only difference. Otherwise, everything else is the same. You know, we're trying to make money and, go, you know, hustling for jobs and, you know, doing the same thing that everybody else is doing or the lo- greatest society, largest society is doing. And I think it's time that we take a look and at least, at least have the conversation about, well, should we be doing something different? Mm-hmm. You know, are our issues the same or not? What, what do we care about? And what's important to us as Black women, if we are seeing, like Breonna Taylor, as well as countless, you know, George Floyd, we could go on and on about the names. If we're seeing our children and our brothers and sisters killed all the time, if we're hearing about the wretched conditions of schools in Black neighborhoods, even though mm-hmm. Brown versus Board of Education was however many years ago and segregation was supposed to be over and all that, but schools are probably more segregated now, or as, I won't say more, but as segregated now. Mm-hmm. Should our goal be just to get out of that and move away from that? So our individual children can go to nice schools, quote unquote, and get good educations, et cetera, et cetera. And then let our brothers and sisters languish in certain areas. Is that community? Then you have to ask yourself, well, what community are we part of? (laughs) That right there. That right there. You really just brought a lot of the things that we've already talked about together with that question in terms of what makes us different and, and what do we care about? And as you were talking, I was thinking, well, you know, it's hard because we do have to hustle and we do have to make money. But then I thought about the example we used in terms of the bus boycott. Mm-hmm. They still had to make money. They still had all of the same pressures and stressors that we have. Mm-hmm. But the thing that was different is that they were committed to community and they were committed to a goal that was larger than just their individual goals. Yes. And I feel like we've been purposefully conditioned Mm-hmm. to feel like we're part of a more mainstream group. And along with that comes a more individualistic perspective. Right. And it's kind of taken us away from this kind of community mindset. And there's, it almost feels like there's a tug of war happening. Mm-hmm. On some levels, we, we notice that we need it and we want to rally together. And then there's this push of the individual needs and I want to get mine. So how do we handle that conflict? Because we're not all there. We're not in lockstep like we were in the bus boycott. We're much more segmented. Mm-hmm. How do we get to that place where we see the value of community and uh, and see it as being, you know, just important or more important than those individual things? Yeah. You know, I'm sure you probably had some people even with the bus boycott that were maybe not fully engaged with it but they had an organization and they had systems and they communicated with people about what the goal was and 
the majority of everybody who participated in it had made up their mind that, like uh, Fannie Lou Hamer said, they were sick and tired of being sick and tired. That wasn't the first time someone sat down on the, you know, on the bus like that. It, Rosa Parks wasn't the first person to do it. Many people had done it before her. But at this point, for a lot of different reasons, people were just like, hey, we're tired of this. And, and then someone presented or a group of people, they sat down and they presented a plan for what we're going to do. So uh, a lot is depend dependent on leadership and not leadership that's given to you or pointed to you by people who are part of the problem, <laughs> but leadership of the people who recognize this and, and are open to and willing to and committed to saying, hey, we need to do something about this. Even if we start small, you know, even if we have a problem with literacy, so we're going to teach our children how to read, right? One group is going to start there. We're going to teach our children how to read. But we're not just going to teach them how to read in general because it's not just reading, it's what they read. Mm -hmm. So we're going to make sure they're getting reading materials that are giving them the truth about who we are, about our history, all of that. So we have a, we're going to have a, a system, an organization. We have a goal, you know, that's greater than just, you know, we're going to teach them to read, which is important. But we have people, we have a lot of people who can read and we're still in this condition, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that you're not, we, ha we have to stop thinking that, it's going to happen. Everybody's going to be on board as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We just have to think, study, connect with people who are doing the same to raise mm -hmm. our consciousness. Because as you mentioned, this is a deliberate, this is a deliberate attempt. No one can keep people in a certain condition for centuries, right? Centuries, and it not be a deliberate attempt. Mm -hmm. So these, these are some of the realities that, that we have to face. And we have to also understand and not necessarily beat ourselves up or feel bad about it because we went through a process. Mm -hmm. Right. So if this has been going on for centuries, that's many generations. That means mm -hmm. the first generation of people who came, eventually they died out. Right. The first generation of people who came, who knew freedom, eventually they died out. And then every generation after that only knew slavery. Mm -hmm. And so we were ripe for the conditioning of whatever mindset you know, people want to condition. Yeah. And I like what you, you just said about mindset. And, and it also reminds me that we have to, I feel like each, we keep going through this cycle of anger, right? We get mm -hmm. angry, we get outraged. And then channeling that into change, think 
that I don't see that happen enough. Yeah. I mean, it does happen. I mean, uh, Colin Kaepernick, he definitely channeled his into some sort of action, but just kind of going from anger to action. It would be nice to to have a, like you said, a system and organizations in place that facilitate that anger outrage, which is necessary to right. raise the level of consciousness and then having that move into action. One, one of the other things that you said that really stood out for me was when you said that when we tap into our ability to create and we ignite that vision and that power that anything is possible. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking about kind of us having the power to change circumstances and to really walk in the knowledge that we are the mothers of creation, that statement is just so inspiring to me. So I would love for you to elaborate on that and how anything is possible. Sure. I think when you talk about, and I, I'm using myself as an example, but also reading and studying other sisters and other movements, et cetera. I think one of the reasons that we're angry is because we feel, we feel powerless, mm. right? So you're so angry, but you don't know what to do about it. You're so angry and you want somebody else to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps repeating. So you don't have a solution to it because we think the solution is outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. When we understand that you know, the solution is within us and that, I mean, we have a lot of history documents, scholars, etc., that have brought forth research experiences to let us know things that we can draw from to understand that we have the ability to create whatever existence that we want. I think the one thing that is and I, I, I want to make sure that we I'm upbeat about it, but there's some realities that we have to face as well because there's no just jumping over to a new reality and everything's going to be fine and we're going to keep everything we have. We're just going it's just going to be different, you know. There's a process and even what people would call sacrifice that we have to go through to even learn about how to bring this creativity out because our purpose for being here was, was not to do that. And I mean, mm -hmm. the purpose we were brought here was not to do that, but the purpose we're here is to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So we were brought here to do that by people who brought us here, but we are here to do that. We've been, we're in this situation and condition to move past our limitations. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, to move past our limitations. So how do you get people to believe that? It's a good question. I'm still working on it. <laughs> you know, I know how I, I started to, to believe it was, you know, I through conversation and community with other people who had more experience than me and then gave me the opportunity to get that experience which is why, you know, what I, I aspire the pieces collective to be, not just yeah. about making bags and 
earrings and jewelry and stuff, but about us learning how to create together and how that creative process can sustain us, help us to care and love each other more. So all of those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think when we talked before, you said also the the economic piece of it too. Mm -hmm. So not just the inspiration and the the community building and bonding, but also the economic power, because that's another powerful thing that we have. If we use it together, uh, it can be even more powerful. So as we're talking about creativity, I know I was one of those people who did not feel very creative for a long time. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to the sister who may not have discovered her creativity and she's thinking, I cannot sew, I don't have a green thumb. How can she help to weave the fabric of community by using her hands to create? Well, the first thing I would say is that think about what you love. You know, think about what you love to do and or or something you would love to do. Because I just started quilting, you know, and yeah, I can sew, but I couldn't quilt. And I was just in awe of anytime I was around a quilt or anybody who quilted. And sometimes you would go to these quilt shows and they would have these beautiful quilts hanging from the ceiling. And I was just, I was in wonderland, you know, and I just, oh man, I, this is so beautiful. And so, and I really admired and was awestruck by the people who could make them. And, but I never really thought that, I could do that. So I would also say if there's something that you really love and you want to do, take the time to learn to do it and understand that it's never too late and you're never too old, you know? So uh, that's what I would, that's the first thing I would um, suggest. And doing things in a group is always, or learning to do things in a group is always more fun. So try to seek mm-hmm. out groups that are doing things. But I did want to touch on um, the economics part of it, because like you said, it's not all about just being inspired and we're singing, dancing to the love train. <laughs> In this society, you have to have money to survive. But another understanding that we have to have is that economics is part, a critical part of community, mm-hmm. Right. That's the whole purpose of economics is to meet the needs of the community. So a lot of times we use economics and business and financials and everything interchangeably, but they're all specific things. And economic reality is business is just one part of economics. But economics is really about people and really about community. Once we realize that, then we can move out on on a lot of different fronts. And creativity is not always sewing or, you know, drawing or all of those things. Because I never thought I was a creative person either. I thought I was more like an administrative, and I, I still think I'm more like an administrative <laughs> person, you know? Um, I, I see people who are who are artists, et cetera. And 
you know, they have a real talent for it. I never thought that I, I never see, saw myself as an artist. But I'm learning that there's creativity, a creative, a creative part in everything that we do. You know, it's just about your love for it and you're wanting to make it beautiful and wanting to make it beneficial to whoever you're serving. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where, you know, creativity can come in. But you can just, we just have to begin to acknowledge that we are creative. Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of who we are. Some people are more creative than others in terms of the arts, etc. But the creativity is in us. Mm-hmm. I know I was at the Baltimore Farmers Market and Bazaar when I first started doing that. And I would bring my bags out and people would just be, oh, this is so beautiful and all that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, yeah. You know, because we always sometimes downplay ourselves. But I had a friend there. Now, he, he was a true, he is a true artist. He can sew, he can paint, he carves wood like nobody's business. And he's just so creative. And I was talking to a customer one time and he was there and he looked and he was like, oh yeah, you like that bag? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, this is the artist, you know? And I was looking at him like, who is he, to- who is he talking about? You right. And, and this is something like, I, I know why the work you're doing is important when you talk about limiting beliefs. Because I went through all kinds of rationales why I wasn't an artist in my mm-hmm. head for some time. I accept it now, almost. Because <laughs> <laughs> even when I say it, I'm like, oh, you're not really an artist. But uh, sewing is an art. You know, it's a craft and it's an art. And the not limiting my belief in, ter- in terms of my creativity is pushing me to be even more creative. You know, I'm already at a certain level of creativity, but, you know, now I'm inspired to get even more creative with my work. And so it's just about hushing all of the noise and the naysayers. And and really, you're probably your biggest naysayer. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's what I would advise someone to do to tap into yeah. the creativity, but also to study who we are as a people. And just as it's not all about inspiration, you have to have economy, et cetera. It's not all about slavery. You know, mm-hmm. who were we before slavery? You know, what did we as women do and want and what were our values then? How were we, you know, what were our, um, accomplishments and achievements and victories before that, because we have a whole, we have more of a history as a people before slavery, you know, than we do since. Uh, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in the mindset we are, we were, we have been slaves longer than we have been free in in this you know, so, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to struggle with, but we have we have everything we need to do that. I hear I heard, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about epigenetics. I'm mm-hmm. not a doctor or or a scientist, but I know that it has something to do with 
things being passed down generation DNA. Mm-hmm. DNA. and when we talk about that a lot of times we're talking about this the scars and the suffering from slavery but we also have the epigenetics from before that yes yes and that is what we have to tap into we have to deal with we might have to deal with everything from our most recent history, which is the slavery part. But once we understand that, then we can reach back mm-hmm. to go forward, yep. which, which I believe is Sankofa, right? Yeah. Back. Reach back to go forward. So we can move forward. So. Yeah. And. At the Pieces Collective, which we're striving to do that, we're in our really baby embryonic form, but to have our relationships with people be more than just transactional. It's not just about, you know, making a profit or making money. It's not just about financial exchanges. It's about mutual, mutually beneficial relationships and programs and investment in the community which we're a part of you know mm-hmm. so i mean community is everything community is how we have survived until today yeah what are some of your future plans for pieces collective or what things do you have coming up um, in the near future that we might be able to partake of or experience well we have um well First, you can go to thepiecescollective.org and support our makers. We have uh, seven faithful makers on there, and we sell everything from uh, personal care items and body butters to beautiful, beautifully designed earrings, uh, handcrafted accessories, bags, scarves, uh, some clothing. Uh, we have journals for, to offer. So you can go there and uh, support our makers. Also, we have an event that we do the third Wednesday of every month, which you, Dr. Stephanie, participated in, called Wisdom, Wellness, and Wealth. And that is an event that is a conversation by panelists to inspire, raise our consciousness, and inspire us to action, which is that next part, like we were talking about earlier. You can become aware but then you can get angry and then you can, you know, it's just a vicious cycle, but we want to inspire people to take action that can solve the problems we're talking about to be solutions oriented. And that we have those meetings with wonderful panelists from our community, from right within our community. We have a wealth of resources and talented people right at our fingertips that we can share the conversation with. And so we, do, we have that. Our next event is August 17th, and it's called The Joy of Making, The Art of Beating. So we do a lot of different topics that can range everything from health, but we also strive to get in there some of the joy of making pieces. And this month is our joy of making, our joy of making event with the wonderful panelists. We also do a Juneteenth Walk for Wellness. 
So, so we've done it two years and we're going to continue it next year. It's a, a virtual event. So you can gather with people. Those of us in this area walk at Centennial Park, but okay. walk wherever you are and, and get your own group. So we're, we're looking to build it and expand it because we believe walking is one of the best things you can do for your health. And you can, you know, it doesn't cost anything to walk. So we're very inspired by um, uh, the name escapes me right now, but it'll it'll come back to me. So what we want to do also is start walking on a walk for wellness on Sundays. I walk now with a couple of other sisters. We do it almost every Sunday and we just want to start expanding that group. Because when we walk, we talk about all kinds of things and, mm-hmm. it's, you know, building community. And you may not get all everything you need from one community. You may have to build many communities, but all being part of one, all with the goal of supporting black women, black family, black men. So you might have to. I have many, many communities that I'm involved with. But if you go to thepiecescollective.org and subscribe. We can send a lot of information and update you on everything that we're doing. We'd love to have you as part of our community as well and enjoy that. Wonderful. As you were talking, I was thinking about gifts that I need to get and I'm like, oh, some (laughs) jewelry or something. So I'll have to check out the website because it's just like you said, when you're making it with joy Mm -hmm. and just hearing you describe the process that your makers go through, that's an extra gift of what's infused into it other than just the the material item itself. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to do some shopping. (laughs) Well, we will. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you so much for for your time. I think that you have given us a lot to think about and a lot to inspire us. It was very inspiring and and to help create that that mindset shift and that raise raising of consciousness. So I so appreciate your wisdom that you shared, uh, similar to how wisdom was shared with you. And um, I look forward to us continuing to be in community with one another. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really inspired by what you're doing. And I'm happy to talk about Black women as a community anytime. (laughs) Well, I may have to take you up on that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Peace. Thanks for conquering those limiting beliefs on another episode of the SOAR podcast. If you want to reach out to my guest, just check out the show notes and all of the contact information is there. If you want more information about Stephanie Brown Coaching, go to www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And I'm sure you're already following the SOAR podcast Instagram page. But if not, just go to IG and type in Sisters Overcoming and Rising, all one word. Goodbye for now. Thank you.